Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio. We're going to be talking about fall herbicide spraying on today's program and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can always email us radio at agphd.com. All right, so I'm Brian Hefty. That's my brother Darren. Talking fall herbicide spraying today, let me start you with this. We are real big believers in, if you can get it done, getting some fall herbicide out. And here are the two main reasons why. Number one, we want to stop any of these uh, winter annuals, perennials, and biennial, biennials in the fall so it doesn't hurt your crop next year. That's awesome when you can do it. And I, I would just say fall is a great time to spray herbicide if you're doing it as early as possible. You can spray a little bit later too with some products, and we'll talk about that today. But there are some that you want to get out before the frost if at all possible. The second reason why I would say this fall herbicide thing is a big deal is it allows you to get better weed control early in the spring in drier areas or if let's say you are really limited on time. So time management as you know is unbelievably important on the farm. I when I talk to people outside of ag, outside of our industry, they kind of ask me questions about what farmers do and things like that. And I'm like, look, okay, let's say you work for some big company. You've got the CEO, you've got the HR person, you've got, you know, the maintenance guy, you've got all these different jobs throughout that organization, right? Yep. Got it. Well, on the farm, the farmer is that person all the way across. In other words, the farmer's the CEO, the farmer's the accountant, the farmer's the HR, the farmer's everything. So there's a lot to do on the farm every day, especially if you're going to be successful. So I get it that you might say, okay, well, I don't have a lot of time in the fall, but some years you do. Like last fall, we had the driest, warmest, longest fall that we've ever had in history. In the in recorded history, it was the longest and best for us in our area. Okay, so a lot of guys are done with harvest. They got everything else done. It's like, guys, if you're looking for something to do, here is something that will pay you pretty well. So we've been spraying on our own farm in the fall for many years, not every single acre, but at least the acres that are upland that aren't going to flood, the acres we're going to plant early, the acres we know for sure what crop we're going to plant next year. And it works out really, really well. So with the residual herbicides we're spraying later, with these contact ones or the ones we want to get down into the root system of perennials or maybe winter annuals or something, those we're doing a little bit earlier. All right, let's get to the phone lines. We'll start off with Matt in Iowa. Matt, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. So what's happening with harvest uh, in your area and what question have you got for us? Yeah, we're down southwest Iowa. Things are uh, kind of slow to get going. The corn's uh, going to be good, but it's uh, still a little wet, and uh, the beans are struggling to uh, kind of finish themselves off. So uh, dealing with a lot of green stems yet, and beans and pods are ready, but the, the stems aren't. Okay. Okay, and I understand you had something with trees going on. What's happening with the trees? Yeah, so we took out an early uh, field, field of corn, and uh, in this particular field, there's uh, you know, some trees around it. And uh, this summer, our growing conditions evidently were not only great for corn, but also for trees. And there's a lot of uh, you know, saplings, what I would say, two to three feet tall. 
And uh, I'm just curious, uh, I was thinking about going out and uh, spraying 2,4-D on them this fall to try to get ahead of them, and I was just curious whether or not you thought that would work, what rate to use, or should I wait around until next spring and uh, do something there? Well, we were just talking about perennials, and I realize many people aren't thinking about trees as weeds, but sometimes on the farm we do, and a tree obviously is a perennial. So our, our suggestion is always try to take care of those in the fall. Even if you don't totally kill whatever perennial you're dealing with or tree, hopefully winter kill will finish it off. Well, the problem with trees is they're they're pretty tough compared to most weeds. 2,4-D, all you're going to do usually is knock the leaves off the tree. You're not going to kill it with 2,4-D. You'd have to go with something like, let's say, uh, I, my in, in that case, my best suggestion is probably Remedy Ultra. Depends on the tree species and stuff, but, I mean, Remedy is usually going to take stuff out. We also often talk about Chaparral for brush or Tordon for straight trees, but Chaparral and Tordon have unbelievably long residual, like years and years and years worth of residual. So it doesn't sound to me like that's what what we're looking at here. You probably want something that's going to kill these, not leave residual, that's going to hurt future crops. Uh, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, beans will be planted next year. Yep, yep. So if I was going to do anything out of the ordinary, I would probably just go out there with Remedy Ultra. What a lot of people will do is they'll just uh, take some type of cutter and just cut stuff off and and figure, okay, well, I hope this stuff doesn't come back. But if you wanted to use a product to kill them, then Remedy Ultra is probably the one that I would use. Great. Thank you very much for the insight. You bet. Yep. Good luck. Yeah, it's tough when you want something that doesn't have a lot of residual. We don't have a lot of choices out there, but that Remedy Ultra is actually pretty good on a lot of brush and tree species. So like I was saying, it it all depends on the, 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 the tree type and things like that. You can look on the label, but use a good strong rate of that. It should be in good shape. Yeah, I know volunteer trees has been something. We've got several tree groves uh, by different fields, and you know, we see a few of those. And, you know, once they get, get established and get a little bigger, they get they get tough. But as they're little guys, a lot of times conventional tillage just wipes them I, out. I found it interesting. He said, yeah, it turned out to be a good year for growing trees. We saw a bunch of that same type of thing that he's talking about in a ditch. Uh, and by ditch, I don't mean a road ditch. I'm talking about out in a field where water would normally flow because there wasn't as much water there as normal this year. And normally when there's lots of water, that kills stuff. It's just like with our crops. If we have excess water, it kills a crop. So normally that's great. But this year it was so dry in there, yet it was still damp enough and there was moisture underneath it. I think that's why, and I'm guessing that's what happened to him too, that's why things took off there. The trees out in our shelter belts, uh, they are not as happy. I, I mean, in those areas, yeah, pretty dry and they were suffering, so they did not grow as much as normal. But in, in those other cases, in those types of ditches, uh, that's where you're seeing a lot more than normal. We'll be talking about fall herbicide spraying on Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. 
That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. We're talking about fall herbicide spraying, but we're also taking your calls and questions. Uh, Frank from Virginia called in uh, during our break, and he said, grass seed is in short supply and it's expensive. Should I stock up? What are your thoughts? Uh, Well, first of all, in terms of grass seed, that's more of a localized issue. So we don't have grass seed problems around here where where we're at. Um, Yes, the price might be a little bit higher, but in terms of shortage, we're not really seeing that here. So I can't say that this is some big deal across all of North America or anything like that. If stuff is high priced, then you know, am I stocking it? It all, it all depends on my situation. So I don't know what your situation is exactly, but I, I, I'm not real big on loading up on things that have a short-term shelf life. So grass seed does not last forever. The germination percentage will continue to go down over time. So that's, that's going to create issues for you. So I'm just trying to say, if you absolutely have to have this and you're going to be seeding it in the next six months or something, then sure, you want to get loaded up with what exactly you need over the next six months. Maybe that would make some sense to me. But if we're talking about, oh, I'm worried about this for the next three years, would I load up? No way. Nope, I sure would not. I'd just get what I need and kind of go from there. All right, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that, Frank. Uh, let's head over to Ohio. We've got Drake Copeland with FMC with us right now. Drake, how are you doing? Oh, we're doing good. Uh, crop is slowly but surely coming off. Yeah, it's it's uh, hard to be patient this time of year. Everybody's excited to see what yields are going to be and and to kind of get some of that worry done with. You you get the crop out, you aren't so worried about what the weather's going to do and those kinds of things. But I look at some of this warm weather that we've had through the month of September and now into early October. It looks like it's going to continue. We get some opportunities for some fall herbicide spraying. That's been our topic today. Uh, talk to us a little bit, Drake, about some of the questions you get around fall spraying. I think the main thing is people worry about timing a lot. And, um, you know, it doesn't 
weather, you know, does affect herbicide activity, but man, it always seems when it comes April, May, no matter what the conditions were, um, usually you can tell where they put out a, a, a fall herbicide application. So there's not really a bad time. Um, but obviously, you know, we want to shoot before that first hard freeze. That's, that's really when we want to get things done if we can. Yeah, the freeze is is always a question. I know guys have got dates circled on the board about when full moons are going to be in these types of things, and and as weather fronts are coming through, of oh, here's a here's a chance we might get it. Here's a, a chance that that we might luck out if we can make it past this date. Those types of things. I think about all the residual. Brian was talking a little bit earlier about just some of the residual products that we're putting out, and I know you've got opportunities coming up for this winter wheat crop. You've got burn down opportunities. Uh, we've got uh, spring issues that we're anticipating with kochia and pigweed and other weeds that we can help alleviate a little bit with the fall applications. Uh, when you're t- talking about these residual options out there, what are some that growers should be looking at? I think one option that, that we have at FMC is Authority XL. And um, obviously, so Fentrazone, if we're spraying Earlier in the fall, we can pick up activity. As you mentioned, it may be normal this fall or warmer this fall, pick up some of those late emerging water hemp or palmer amaranth, what have you. Uh, but the classic chemistry seems to linger around a little bit longer as we go through the winter months and those first few months of the spring. And you can see oftentimes uh, classic or products like Authority XL that contain classic still see some activity carrying you into April, even May in some places. Yeah, that's one that we avoid as we come north. It, it runs into some crop rotational things with us, but I sure do like the sulfentrazone chemistry and all the different mixes that you've got, whether it be a Spartan product or an Authority product. We see a lot of those being used uh, even even in the extreme north and even in different rotations that we run into. Also seeing you know some of the, the chemistry, like the Group 15 chemistry, coming in uh, on wheat crops, and that's been exciting too. Yeah, you're right. We don't want to pigeonhole ourselves with chemistries uh, that we can't rotate to either or corner soybeans, even wheat, like you mentioned. But there's a big push. There's parts of the world where Italian ryegrass, little barley, are huge problems in our wheat crop. And those group 15s are really the only thing we've got in our toolbox when we're talking about wheat acre productions and getting it out there before the weeds emerge. Oftentimes, those grasses emerge the same time the wheat does. So it's kind of a complex timing getting that done effectively. See, hopefully, we control through the winter into green up sprays. Yeah, we're catching a little bit of moisture now uh, today on our farm. And I was thinking about that, too, with some of these winter annual weeds that are going to get enough moisture to germinate here. We're going to have decent temperatures. we got a good shot to try to kill a lot of these things. We could be setting ourselves up for a great crop in 2022. Absolutely. And, and like those winter annuals, we kind of got some wiggle room with them that we often forget. They're used to this colder weather, so they could still effectively move things around. And uh, like I mentioned, don't just because there's a hard freeze, uh, those weeds aren't going to die, and they'll still move nutrients and water around as the, as temperatures get back to warmer. So our treatments can still be effective, and like you mentioned, starting off clean in the spring, there's nothing better than doing that. Absolutely. Talking to Drake Copeland here with FMC over in Ohio. Drake, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck here the rest of Harvest. Sure. Thanks, guys. 
We got a friend Nick Flights on with Pent Air down in Kentucky to talk about this a little bit. Drake brought up a few good points here, Nick, that we need to keep in mind. Freezing temperatures, and I think about not only the pumps and all the equipment you got on your spray trailer, but also just getting these these herbicides to work, getting them through our nozzles. Man, there's a lot of variables here. It's not as easy as spraying in the summer. Yeah, there certainly are a few more uh, things to consider, some more challenges, I guess you could say that uh you know it's never easy and uh you know you brought up temperatures and i think that's a good uh starting point um to talk about and talk about plant herbicides in cold weather you know that can that can slow down the activity it can reduce the activity of some herbicides we're talking about cooler nights shorter daylights and that um so i think it's you know in consideration of that i think when I'm talking to folks and making recommendations for fall applications, I'm going to recommend, you know, doing some things to try and make sure we're coating those those weeds very well. If we're getting higher levels of coverage, whether it's a contact or systemic herbicide, I think that's going to be important and help overcome some of the, the colder temperatures. A lot of times, you know, we're not spraying our whole acreage. We're just hitting uh, either winter crop areas or just some of our problem areas as well so we can we can take some steps we can apply more water i think putting a couple extra gallons in that tank and putting it out uh, is a good step to take we're not refilling that sprayer as much we're not as in as much of a time crunch so that that added water is going to go a long way to, to help with coverage and this time of year a little bit higher pressure isn't necessarily a bad thing either uh, with the cooler temperatures, that evaporative pressure on our finer spray droplets isn't as great as it is in the summer. And um, we, we never want to drift, but there's not quite as much out there in the fall um, that we have to worry about either damaging if we do see a little bit of drift. Sure. So a little bit higher pressure uh, can, can be a good thing in this scenario as well. You know, one other question I wanted to ask you, Nick, and we got about a minute left here. I, there are some guys that, as we get later in the fall and they're just putting on residual herbicides, like to put it on with liquid 28% nitrogen instead of water, just trying to avoid the freeze-up issues a little bit. Uh, does that change a lot in terms of coverage and getting it through the sprayer? It, it does because you've got a different solution density now with the liquid you're spraying. Uh, it's a much heavier product than using water as your carrier. And so that's going to impact uh, the flow through the sprayer. It's going to require uh, greater pressure and oftentimes a larger orifice size to get the flow and application volume that we're looking for. So if you're going to use liquid fertilizer as a carrier, uh, be sure to look at upping your pressure and increasing your nozzle size as well. Yeah, good tips there, as always, talking with Nick Flights here with Pentair. Nick, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yes, sir. Thank you. Talking about fall herbicide spraying on today's Ag PhD radio show. We'll be right back after this. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. 
Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And our email is always open, radio at agphd.com. I love the feedback we get from listeners like you. Uh, this this message came to us from Gary, and he said, Hey, uh, Frank from Virginia was talking about the grass seed shortage. It's a real thing because of dismal yields from the from the Willamette Valley in Oregon. Also in Montana and Canada, those are largely dry land production areas, which were really dry this year. And grasses require an establishment year prior to the first year of seed production. So the catch-up takes a couple of years, maybe three years, who knows. All right, so that's great information to have. We're, we don't deal with grass seed ourselves here. Um, and quite frankly, we haven't had any issue. But if we have that type of insight, that is really, really good to know. And so thanks for the, the comment. We appreciate that. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. We've got Dr. Mark Lauchs with us right now with Ohio State University. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. 
My pleasure. Glad to be here. All right, we're talking about fall herbicide spraying, and I know you got some tough weeds over in Ohio. I hear guys talking about mare's tail and trying to get after it this fall uh, and, and a number of other weeds. What are you seeing in terms of fall spraying? Is that on the upswing in Ohio? It hasn't been. I think it will pick up again this year. We've uh, a couple reasons, but um, we've picked up, of uh, like, because we've dropped fall applications out to some extent, we've picked up an increase in dandelion. Mare's tail is always an issue, and then I think we've picked up a general increase in, like, dead nettle and chickweed and some of those weeds that clog up planters and, you know, harbor insects and things like that in the spring. So I think what we've learned over the past 20 years is if you don't do a fall application every once in a while, you start to see some increased issues with those. And, you know, dandelion, for example, is a weed that really needs a fall application every several years to keep it in check. It's just really hard to do it otherwise. Totally agree with you on the dandelion, and I think it's interesting from our farm. We've we've learned the lesson the hard way that if you wait too long because, oh, it's nice weather, let's just keep harvesting, then you get cool days, and dandelion control is pretty tough. But if you just have the guts to stop that combine for a nice afternoon when it's warm, you can really ding those things up pretty well. Yeah, I think that's right. I think we do okay here until a hard freeze, and so we're uh, warmer than you all probably, so... You know, I, I generally consider we're good till about mid-November. I think the mid-October to mid-November is a really nice window. We've actually done later than that for a lot of the winter annuals. But, yeah, you'll start to see a drop-off in the dandelion. You know, it turns purple. You just start start to start. See it kind of goes south, and it's really hard to get control of it then, right? I agree. One of the questions we've got, Mark, is if I put a Valor or Authority-type PPO product out there, and I'm going to plant soybeans next year. How much weed control am I going to get out of it? Will it help me delay that first post-emerge pass, or am I for sure going to have to put another pre out there? Yeah, we did a bunch of work on that, and I will tell you, the only products that gave us residual into the spring were canopy. The Clemuron component lasts into the spring, and you get a little bit from Plumiopsis in the Valor. Everything else pretty much craps out over the winter. Simazine, um, you know, uh, I forget what all Metribuzin really does. So, you know, you can get a little bit. I don't think the what you get out of the Flumioxys and the Valor is enough to change anything with your post application. The Clemuron possibly, but then again, you know, the weeds were really struggling with water, hemp, mare's tail, giant ragweed, a lot. They're mostly ALS resistant, right? And so the Clemuron's not really going to help you on those. But, you know, definitely if you throw canopy in there, it'll keep things clean longer than anything else will. But we, other than that, we don't recommend spending money on residuals in the fall. That's good information. When when we look at uh, at some of the rates that guys are running to, that's, that's always a question of what are you going to be rotating to just to make sure that you don't run into any issues there. Uh, okay, let's talk about some of these fall crops then with, with some of the fall cereals uh, that are out there in the field and guys are putting treatments out after the, the winter annual weeds. What tips have you got for the best winter annual control? You, you were saying by November 15th, you can generally get decent control in your area? Yeah, so if you're going for post applications in wheat, most of those products are going to tell you you have to have at least two leaves uh, for us. And so what fits in that category is um, Fulex, Husky, mixtures of dicamba, and the max dicamba rate is four ounces um, then, but you could put that with any a number of a number of ALS inhibitors, you know, Express, all those type of products, and that works pretty well. That's actually a great dandelion treatment, way better than trying to get it in the spring. So usually I, I think for us, based on that two-leaf timing, um, I think early November to mid is sort of when we're, we're going after that. 
How about in pastures, Mark? I know we've got a lot of growers that are fighting some perennials and biennials out in the pasture, and I know that freeze is a big indicator for guys that are trying to, for the most part, get out there before they get that first hard, hard-killing hard frost. Yeah, right. I think the trick there is, like, that Canada thistle for us is a big weed, and, and you want it to get as much size as you can in the spring, although it doesn't have to go to bud stage because it doesn't do that, obviously, like it does in the spring, but... Um, you want it 8 to 12 inches tall, something like that, at least. And so, yeah, once you get a hard freeze, you're going to start to see that go south. You know, dock is another one that you can go after into late fall, but the same thing's going to happen, dandelion. And then you have, um, you know, some warm season perennials, a trick there for us. We've actually, we're still within the window, but as soon as we get a frost, you know, it shuts down all the warm season perennials, your pokeweed, your, you know, uh, fine weeds, and a bunch of stuff like that that doesn't survive any type of a frost. So it kind of depends on the weed. Um, yeah, and again, the farther north you go, probably the faster that shuts off. Yeah, there's a lot of different weeds out there, and I think one of the one of the key things here, if you're listening to uh, Dr. Mark Laux with Ohio State talking about a wide range of weeds, identifying those weeds that you've got in your fields is really, really key here to see exactly what you've got, what growth style it has, and what's the best way to get after it. Uh, Mark, great recommendations today. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck here the rest of this fall. Thanks. Nice to be here. Let's head down to central Alabama. We've got Joe on with us right now. And speaking about weed identification, Joe's got a couple tough ones and, and maybe ones that we don't talk about a whole lot on the show. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, this is for cattle pasture, and it's uh, woolly croton and dog fennel. And I need to know, is there a fall application that's good for that. We're well above freezing. We're in the 80s uh, for a fall uh, spray herbicide, or should I wait till spring, and what's the best to use? All right. Well, thanks for rubbing that in a little bit, Joe, that you you guys are still in the 80s. We're starting to dip kind of cool in the evenings here. We're still catching some some decent daytime highs, but uh, but you're right. Alabama, different situation than we've got in the northern part of the United States, but pasture spraying, great time of year to do it. So, Joe, let me just ask you, have you used a herbicide before that has not worked? No, I haven't used a herbicide. I've thought I like to mow and keep it mowed, but I can't. Sure. we've been so wet this year, I can't stay ahead of it. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Well, the reason why I ask is because normally we don't have a lot of problem out in pastures with either of those two weeds, dog fennel or woolly croton. Uh, I would just say using some 2,4-D ought to work just fine. There are many other, uh, let's call it more uh, intense, aggressive products that can be used when we start talking about perennials, biennials, stuff like that. But I, I, I mean, with these weeds, I just run out there with some Freelex. That's the new 2,4-D that doesn't volatilize. And let's say you ran even a quart to the acre will a lot of times do it. But to be on the safe side, I typically will run a quart and a half to two quarts per acre. Am I just as good to am I just as good to do that this fall as I would be yep. in the spring? Yeah. Yep. You always want to okay. do. Yep. Yep. Weed control to me is like this, Joe. I always want the weeds dead as soon as possible. So <laughs> the sooner you get them under control, then the faster your your pasture is recovering. And in the future, I, I would say this too. A lot of times. If we have issues with weeds out in pastures or lawns or any type of grass, 
we're, we're talking fertility, and then we're also talking about trying to leave the grass a little taller. So that's why we talk so much about rotational grazing in pastures or mowing the grass a little taller in lawns. So hopefully you don't have to spray uh, the herbicide as often. But yeah, every once in a while, I mean, there's just nothing you can do. You got to get out there with the herbicide because it's impossible to go individually pull each one of those weeds. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. You bet. Yep. Thanks, Joe. Good luck down there. Talking about fall herbicide spraying on today's Ag PhD radio program. We're also taking your calls and agronomic questions. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back after this. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency. And the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more. Return more with a Drago Cornhead. For more information on Drago Cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Nothing waits for a farmer. Not the weather, the banker, the crops. It's never at a farmer's convenience. So when it comes to crop protection savings programs, how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate? Don't wait for rebates. Get the True Choice offer from Corteva AgriScience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products. Ask your local Pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the True Choice offer from Corteva. But don't wait. 
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio. We have just been talking about fall herbicide spraying and answering your calls and questions. So, by the way, if you would like to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Okay, so to wrap up this fall herbicide spraying thing, one of the big questions that I often get about the residual herbicide. So let's say it's trifluralin or prowl, or maybe it's one of the corn herbicides like harness, surpass, outlook, dual, zidua. People will say, okay, well, if I spray them in the fall, are they going to work come spring? I mean, do I have to worry about it? Is there a problem? No, there's not a problem. You just want to spray relatively late in the fall. I think we were talking about this a day or two ago here on the show that let's say your normal freeze update where the ground freezes hard as a rock. For us, that's early December. Okay, so if we're spraying in November, basically it's like we're spraying right away in the spring because the the herbicide is totally locked in. There's nothing growing there. It's not moving. I mean, it's fine. In fact, it's fantastic because now I have it out there and the snow can help me activate that early in the spring. So you'll actually see better weed control early. If you had that freeze update, like I'm talking about of early December, and you decide to spray in late August or sometime early September, well, now that's a different deal because now you've got a couple of months maybe that you could have weeds using up the herbicide. That's, I mean, you can still do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying part of your herbicide is going to be gone before spring. So the timing on this is really important. The other thing, like I said earlier in the show, is the placement of the herbicide is important. And what I mean by that is which fields you're picking. Don't pick a field that's going to get flooded. Don't pick a field that you're going to plant late in the spring. With fall herbicide spraying, using residual herbicides, you want to plant early in the spring, so then you get crop canopy sooner because the herbicide's only going to last so long. I mean, so think about it this way. Let's say you sprayed your herbicide April 1 and you don't plant till June 1. Well, it, it, it'd be the same deal as spraying in the fall. I'm just trying to say here, you want to plant as early as possible to get that crop canopy. Your herbicide will carry you through that early season and then you get crop canopy after that to kill the weeds and now you're in good shape. So, Anyway, we are big believers in using fall herbicides, but a lot of times what we're focused on is killing those perennials or biennials or winter annuals, like a good example on our farm, mare's tail and dandelion. Years ago when we switched from conventional till, took about half of our acres, put them into no-till, all of a sudden we were ending up with all kinds of mare's tail and dandelions. And I just remember going out in our fields, I'm like, what in the world is going on? Where did these weeds even come from? I've never seen mare's tail on our farm. And sure, I've seen dandelions in our lawn, but why do we have so many out in the field? It's ridiculous. So we're fighting those every spring, and one year I just got sick of it. And I'm like, good grief, we can't get these things under control very well in the spring. They're already huge and well-established, rooted down. It's cold in the spring. Herbicides don't work as well. And I, I, I just remember the day I told our guys, we were running a couple of combines, and I said, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're shutting those combines down at noon today. They're like, what? We want to keep going. It's great. The weather's awesome. I go, exactly. The weather's awesome. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to run a couple of sprayers, and we are going to go out and spray, and we got 70-degree temps this afternoon. It's awesome. We're going to do this today, and we're going to do it tomorrow, and we are going to end our issues with mare's tail and dandelion, and we did. We sprayed a quart to Banville. Now, I realize that's not super cheap, but so what? It's way better than fighting this thing every single year. And, I mean, we eliminated it. 
we, we had all kinds of problems and it was just gone. And so that spring, I didn't even have to worry about a burn down. I had everything done. And sure, I mean, you're going to have a few little summer annual weeds popping up and stuff like that. But I, I mean, all my tough problems, my, my dandelions and my mare's tail, it was all gone. It was all because I sprayed in the fall. The other big thing that I want to say to you is this. When you invest the time and effort to go out and get the spraying done, don't get chintzy on the rate. I see that way too often where guys are like, well, instead of using four ounces of Valor, I'm going to try to get by with two and a half or something. And I'm going, look, just spend the money. You're already out there spraying anyway. And it's really inexpensive to just bump the rate a little bit and give yourself that much more residual. You're going to be thankful, especially on your weedy fields. I'm not saying your fields that are normally perfectly clean that you have to invest all kinds of money. But I am saying if you got a real problem on a few fields, just hammer it and get it done and over with. You're going to have a lot better yield that way because I don't care what anybody wants to tell you. You know, you can't let weeds grow in your crop. If you see weeds at all, they've already hurt your yield to some degree. And if you do not believe that, you mark with a flag where those weeds are at. You go spray them, kill them. Then you come back later in the summer and you check pod counts if it's soybeans or ear count if it's corn or what wheat heads on wheat. You will find, I will guarantee you, it hurt your yield. Now, it might not have hurt it half or anything like that, but it doesn't have to. I mean, if you're going to spray a herbicide, think about what little that costs, $10, $12 an acre. I mean, like corn now, we're talking $1,000 an acre gross income. So 1%, am I going to hurt my yield more than 1% with weeds? Of course I am. So anyway, I, I would just say make sure you're getting these weeds under control, whether it's fall or spring, I don't care what you do. But I'm just trying to tell you here, in a lot of cases, you go out there with a fall herbicide and all you have to do is, okay, so here's just an example from our region of the country. A lot of guys end up where they can only combine corn for six, seven, eight hours in a day, and then they're done because their their wet bin is full or lines at the elevator or whatever. Well, take those nice afternoons where it's 70 degrees in the afternoon and go spray just even if it's just a couple, three afternoons the entire fall and get those biennials, perennials, and winter annuals under control. You will be thankful come spring. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, Brian, you're going to love this. We'll start with a tiling question for you. This one comes from Marty in South Dakota. He said, guys, we did some tiling on a field, and we were wondering if we should do a cover crop in areas where the soil isn't as good. Also, is there Wait, any- why? Why? Why would you do a cover crop where the soil isn't as good? Just to get something growing in that area. Oh, field? I see what you're saying. So, in other words, this might be a sodic area. Yeah, they got, or they got some area. bad areas. This, sure. is, this yeah. is southeast South Dakota. Gotcha. Sure. And he said, also, is there any fall practice that we should do to prepare for next year's soybean crop? If we're going to put soybeans into a tough area, they just got the tile in to try to start flushing out some of the problems could get a cover crop started to at least get something growing out there, maybe suck up some of that salt or sodium. Uh, Yeah, there is. Soil test, do one acre grids, and fertilize the heck out of it. Yeah, the other thing I would consider is putting an excluder soybean in. So put a soybean that has a salt excluder gene in it. Now, it's not necessarily going to survive if you've got a ridiculous amount of salt out there, but if you've got a low level of salt, it's going to survive much better than a regular soybean. So you can get that in an extend trait or an extend flex trait or an enlist trait, uh, which, by the way, on these excluder soybeans, 
Uh, I just learned now that Bayer is doing a lot more research on that. They were not categorizing some of their early beans. They weren't testing for the excluder gene. Now they are, which is exciting for the industry to just get more knowledge and, and give us a better chance to pick the best variety for those tough areas. Hey, kudos to you for getting that tiling done. That's that's a big deal. Okay. Also, when I say fertilize the heck out of it, what I mean by that is this. Oh, thank we, you for clarifying, Brian. We, yeah, but I, I'm not saying waste money, but I am saying if you own ground, it costs you only um, money. Well, okay, let me rephrase this. If you think about it this way, over time, you're going to spend lots of money on fertilizer on that ground, right? The crop's going to use it up. What I'm suggesting is that you take some of the money you're going to spend over the next five years on fertility, use it today to build up your soil so you get things in ratio. It's going to help you so much even next year on your beans and whatever's left, which will be a lot, that's going to be for the next year in corn and then the next year in beans or whatever crop you happen to raise. So here's just an example. Let's say that you've got uh, 10 parts per million of phosphorus out there. It's like if I see that on my farm, you know what I'm doing? I'm getting her up to 100 parts per million on phosphorus. And then I see one part per million or half a part per million on zinc. No way. I want to get that that fo- that zinc up in relation to the phosphorus, 8 to 1, 10 to 1, 12 to 1, somewhere in that kind of range. So it, it it's not out of balance. And then I need to get my copper up just a little bit. And my potassium's got to be at least 4% base saturation K. Get all these things in balance in your soil. Have an adequate amount there, and that's going to help you tremendously because now you don't have the drainage issue hurting your yields. We'll get to more of your questions coming up next. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. 
Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. I just got, got one here from Keegan down in Nebraska. He said, working with a number of farmers that have cereal rye and got a few questions for you about killing that cereal rye. If we wait until the spring, can we kill cereal rye with clethodim or a generic fusillade if we are unable to get glyphosate? We're hearing glyphosate supplies are tight. Is that going to carry over into the spring? Okay, so first of all, everybody who wants glyphosate will most likely be able to get it. So no, I'm not worried about that. Now, where we're going to have shortages is probably going to be June. So if you're going to wait until June to get your glyphosate, then yes, you might not be able to get it that day. It might take you three weeks. I think everybody will get glyphosate, so I'm not worried about that part. But if you want to kill cereal rye with clethodim or fusillade, can it be done? Sure it can. It's just it's going to take an awful high rate. And if you don't use that awful high rate, when the weather's good and everything is good, um, you're, you're not going to get a sufficient kill, but you'd really, really ding it up, and then hopefully the crop could choke it out. So, yes, we certainly have alternatives. All right, uh, get a number of cover crop questions. This one, or actually this is more of a comment coming in from Robert. He said, everybody wants cover crops to help build organic matter, but cover crops take a long time to decay sufficiently to turn into humus. And just uh, just a heads up on that. Hey, I totally agree with you, Robert. It takes time for plants to break down. There's Definitely. no doubt about it. Definitely. And, you know, all that top growth, it doesn't necessarily turn into organic matter. It's just very organic little material. Will. Right. Yeah, what do they say, 1% or something it's, of stuff on top of the ground? It's very, very small. So where most of your soil organic matter is going to come from is when roots are decaying. And, yep, you're absolutely right. It takes time. All right, I uh, got this one from Wesley in Illinois. He said, I've heard you guys talk before about a recommended maximum rate of calcium or lime. I'm just wondering if you could give me that information. So Neil Kinsey often talks about 2,400 pounds of actual calcium. Now that is not 2,400 pounds of lime. So when you look at how much calcium is in lime, very often it's 15%, 10%, 20%. just depends on the water and how much magnesium and all these other nutrients that are in there. So just for easy math, let's say that it was 10%. Well, then that would 
theoretic well that would mean you could put on 24 thousand pounds of lime and you would be fine. If it was 20%, then you could put on 12,000 pounds of lime, that'd be six tons. So, but yeah, 2,400 pounds of actual calcium at a time is what Neil Kinsey has said. So we've not run any studies to say, well, it's actually 2,100 or maybe it's 2,700 or whatever. The thing that you got to understand is when you overdo it on calcium, you can get tie up, at least in the short term, of a number of different nutrients out there. So what I'm saying is if you had an overwhelming amount of phosphorus, potassium, zinc, copper, iron, boron, all these other nutrients, and you had just ridiculously high numbers, would you be safer putting, would you be, uh, could you theoretically put on 3,000 pounds of actual calcium or 4,000? Maybe. But if you were low already on a bunch of those things and you put on a whole bunch of calcium, you're, you're just going to end up with more problems. So that's the reason why we say you got to be at least a little bit careful on how much you're doing with Lyme. So just spread it out over time. Spread out your calcium over time. You know, put on some this year, some next year, the year after that, and just kind of ease your way into it, which also brings me back to one of the key things that we often talk about here in the show is you got to continue monitoring things out in your field. Because if they get so bad where you say, uh-oh, I have to have 27 tons of lime just to get my pH right, that didn't happen overnight. And there's, there's no way that happened over the last three years either. That has happened over a decade or more, most likely. So please just pay attention to your soil tests on a fairly regular basis. Now, like our dad, for example, he almost never soil tested. So there was, there was a lot of stuff when we started farming. We kind of took over the farm. It's like, oh, my goodness, Dad, what what is going on here? So I understand how the previous generations didn't do a lot of soil testing. I get that. But in this day and age, as much money as we have at stake out on the farm there, you think of what fertilizer costs today. I, I can't take that kind of risk to not have soil tests. I don't want to guess when I'm spending two, $300 an acre on stuff and I've got 1000 or $1,500 worth of crop per acre out there. I've got a soil test. I don't have to necessarily every year, but you have to on a somewhat regular basis and then maintain these things. And if you ever have questions about, hey, what do you think of my soil tests? Do I have a problem here? Whatever, just send them in to us. That'd be, that'd be just fine. And you can certainly attend our free Ag PhD Soils Clinics. We'll teach you how to read a soil test. You can do this stuff yourself. It's not that difficult. doesn't cost that much money to, uh, to soil test, but you got to have the data if you don't and you aren't maintaining things. Somebody's going to have to pay some enormous bill later on, and you, whether you realize it or not, are paying a bill today in lost yield. All right, got a question from Dave. And oh, oh I shouldn't. I should. Sorry, Brian. I didn't read the rest of Wesley's uh, Wesley from Illinois email here. He said before Brian asks, you should tell him that my median pH is around five point five, and my CEC is a median eevan, and two tons is kind of the norm of what folks in our area are yeah, spreading. That's for probably going to be just fine. And at a five point five, it's real easy. So a lot of times we're doing well. I will say we are doing no liming if the soil pH is below six because we raise corn and soybeans primarily. So if let's say we were at right at a six. Over a four-year period, is it possible to get down to a 5.5? It's possible. I'm not going to say that that's very likely, but it's certainly possible. And here's the other big thing that we found. When we used to do bigger grids or bigger zones, then we had a lot more of this issue where these things are popping up. So the smaller zone or the smaller grid we can get to, 
the the fewer instances we have of this, like a 5.5 pH just popping up on us or 5.2 or something like that, I blame it a lot on just we didn't we we didn't find the right spot. We we weren't doing enough soil testing. And I mean, yeah, there's a limit to it. You're not gonna test every ten feet or anything, but that's my dream. That you know, someday we'd have some kind of machine so we could just run across the field and we would absolutely be able to sense that every foot across our farm so we could really truly even things up. That's what I want, because we know there is a right pH. We know there's a level of phosphorus we want. We know a lot of these things. It's just to try to get it done on the whole farm, acre by acre. I mean, you can do good, but we're not going foot by foot yet. And that's what I look forward to sometime, hopefully, in my lifetime. Yep, it'll probably come sooner than later. We've got Dave in Michigan with a question about bin fan controls. He said, I'm curious as to what the humidity range is for your bin fan controls. I I guess the better question is, for soybean bins, what humidity percentage is considered dry and what's considered wet air? I know we we often have uh, Tony Wendler on with Farm Shop MFG, and Tony says that 67 to 68% humidity is really that cutoff. So if you get wetter than 68 uh, that's that's where um, where you can start adding moisture, but you get drier than that. You're taking out, and you just don't want to be too far off that. It, you said the the problem a lot of guys run into is getting that humidity so low that they dry the bottom of the bin out, over dry the bottom of the bin, and and have moisture issues throughout the bin. So yeah, you're looking for that somewhere right around 68 percent humidity, and you can look up those charts online. They're available. Um, to, to see where you're at. So don't fall in that trap of saying, well, you know what? It's a 30% humidity day. This is the perfect time to, to dry beans out. No, it, it isn't because you're going to have some issues out there. You're going to overdry the bottom and not thoroughly dry the whole bin. Hey, thanks for the question, Dave. Really appreciate that. Uh, I had one comment. Hey, you guys were talking about fall herbicide spray today. You didn't mention atrazine. I know you are, are cautious about atrazine with environmental impacts. What do you think about it for weed control? Is there a low enough rate to use safely, or would you just avoid it completely in the fall? Well, I, I hate to say we have to avoid it completely or anything like that, because there are areas where, let's say I have heavy soil, it's it's super dry, it's never going to leach down. Well, in those cases, sure, you can use it, but we it, it's just so risky, and it's not like it's super, super cheap, plus the fact that it's not great on all weeds, we have resistance, so a lot of problems out there. But yes, the main reason why we don't talk about atrazine very often on the show, other than using it at low rates post-emerge on things like corn and sorghum, the reason why is all environmental. It's not agronomic, it's environmental. And the reason for that is atrazine leaches so easily, we don't want it found in groundwater anywhere, or we're going to have it banned eventually. Yep, that's for sure. We want to be cautious. We want to keep all our options on the table going forward. No problem. Hey, thanks for the question. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.